0: This is CliffCentral.com.
1: Good morning and welcome to Disrupt with myself, Mpoumintlaupo. We are powered by T-Systems South Africa. Um, For those of you that are new to the show, you know that we focus on immersive disruption. We talk to industry leaders, thought leaders, and people that are able to help us demystify and understand this digital era that's brought about this very strong disruptive force and really try to tackle that subject from many different angles. Today we've taken a bit of a turn and um, we are delving into the academic space to really understand um, from a professor with multiple degrees, um, he tells me he's trying to get a degree from every university in South Africa, um, Dr. Jeff Yu-Chen. How are you, Dr. Jeff?
0: Yeah, great. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Thank you for joining us today. Um, we spoke a little earlier and, and I kind of alluded to it. Um, you've got a number of doctorates and MPHILs, etc. Can you maybe just take us through... Um, who you are and, and the work that you do in the academic space.
0: Well, I guess, um, because I, I almost failed my primary school in Taiwan. So uh-huh. I guess I'm overdoing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I work for Gibbs. I'm a full-time faculty member there and I just love talking to people. So I thought that why not just get a lecturing job since we meet all the achievers and fun people every day.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's one. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you, you focus on, um, innovation as a, as an area of specialty. Um, and I know that you spent a lot of time speaking to industry leaders, to disruptors around this topic, which is something that we endeavor to do on this show as well. Can you talk to me about your, your study, your body of work, the studies that you've done and how that fits into this area of innovation and disruption?
0: I think first disclaimer is I'm actually not a very good fa- faculty. I look in, um, problems are close to the industry. Um, Yes, and luckily I do enjoy doing coffee with lots of people. Okay. So, and, and I find that South African business leaders are, they are actually really kind. They love to share their knowledge with, with students and the faculties. So some of the work we've done from the individual level, I like to look into people's identity, how when they shift their identity, their thinking completely shift, and as a result of that, their, their behavior Completely shift and think, start doing things entirely different. Differently, if I understand correctly, you used to own an IT company, yes. and now you are a radio de- DJ and celebrity. So <laughs> just look at you as an example. When you start thinking differently, thinking audaciously, um, everything else follows interestingly. Yes. But um, disruption does not come from being uh, a long wolf or a long ranger. It also, always, always. Come from a great teamwork and a whole bunch of people work together, formally or informally, to construct the um, an ecosystem and so forth. So I also look into how groups of people get together to become more competitive, to become um, more interesting, and how they collectively share their intelligence and apply it. Okay. And lastly, but not least, um, how how do corporates apply some of the principles? And because there is no blueprint for corporate innovation, for any, I mean, if you compare two different companies, their way of doing things should not and will not be the same. So, what is the best ingredient to which part to die up, which part to reduce, in order to get the best result?
1: I see, and the, I mean, you've you've been uh, in faculty and studied for a long time. This concept of disruption. And the term disruption, when did you see it kind of percolating to the fore and starting to be kind of a, a term that's being used you know, in regular conversation?
0: It starts off uh, from a well-known professor, um, Professor Clayton Christensen from, from Harvard Business School. He coined the phrase of disruptive in innovation,
1: okay. and when was that? That was in,
0: in the late um, early nineties. Okay, and So as as
1: late as as long as yeah, it's like, been yeah.
0: it's been a while. It's yes. been a while, but I have to say, uh, the very first time I was exposed to it is the time when I was working for the CSIR. I okay. was um, I went to the conference in New Orleans, and he was um a plenary speaker. Okay. And I'm embarrassed to say, only in about 2008, 2006, I picked up this concept. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, it was pretty, um, pretty interesting, um, because uh, corporates are always looking for, I'm uh, not corporates. I mean, all the business is looking for something new, something to gain a significant advantage. Yes. And he has a different view of how a small player can outcompete a bigger player and uh, how, um, some big players should defend their territory. But, um, in the end of the day, I think, just my personal view. This word disruption's been overthrowing around yes. too much. And I would love to love us to have a conversation and demystify that a little a little bit.
1: Yeah. So so let's get into that. I mean, um, like I said, it tends to be used very loosely for anything that's innovative we tend to say, well, it's disruptive and that's not necessarily the case, is it?
0: No yes, definitely. Um, recently um, MIT Andrew King has published a paper that actually disproved some of them um, clayton Christians theory okay and um, professor christensen even admit that because uh this is a space of disruption his theory actually need to be disrupted itself yes and there are many scholars working on this area however i'm not so interested about the outcome of a, of um a, of an intervention that leads to disruption i'm more interested into the factors that enable a company to become competitive People throw around this term like you know Uber doesn't own cars and um, you know um, Airbnb doesn't own own hotel and so forth. Yeah. But people think that that type of concept can be applicable to every business. Maybe certain essence of it, but I I, I think it would be difficult to tell a retailer, please close down your shop.
1: Absolutely. How <laughs> yes. do people do it? it yes. Does.
0: And that's the first thing. And secondly, to be a disruptor you can be disrupted all the time. You have to keep on continually innovate. Yes. Look at Uber right now. Uber has in the last four quarters posed $3.3 billion billion of loss.
1: Of losses, yeah. Of
0: losses. And so how do you make sure your, your innovative ideas become sustainable, become competitive? That requires not just one silver bullet. That requires you do everything right. From your leadership, from your marketing, from your customer engagement. So as a student of mine, at the moment we talk about the, um, the disruption actually come from displa- disruptive strategy actually come from various displacive strategy. Okay. Can how, you just
1: maybe um, elaborate on this
0: displacive uh, strategy? Basically each, every strategy from the customer engagement, from the channel, from the ecosystem, from every aspect that re- of relevant to your company. How do you play this game to win? And then examine your capability that what else you need to achieve that um, higher competitiveness. Okay. So I think some people think that, um, um, disruption will just occur because of a great idea. Yes, but people don't st- spend enough time to understand the root of that great ideas. I think the root of disruption actually as a result of people trying to understand the pain point or areas that can contribute to other pe- uh, to the society, to the, to the potential customer. Okay. The founders of the older disruptor intervention, which one of my students last year did a great job, you know, I interview about 48 disruptors in South Africa, sure. starting from the co founder of um, Capitech, co founder Discovery, and, and so forth. Okay. Some significant players in, in the industry. And subsequently, we still have carry on with the informal conversation with lots of disruptors. We found several key thinking styles. And one of them was actually they care more about how they can add value to other people's life. And as a result of that, how can they benefit from this intervention? They constantly bounce back and forth between um, a, tentative, um, a nascent idea and how to implement properly. They improve back and forth, and they surrounding themselves by with a group, good team. So I think everybody's looking, I won't say everybody, sorry. I think many people are looking for the silver bullet. Yes. And they're looking for, I want to be a disruptor. How can company disrupt? I think we should get back to the root, get back to understand what the customer is evolving. Do you understand your customer? Do you yes. understand your customer's customer? Do you understand your stakeholder around you? Do you build a great ecosystem? And all the little ingredients added together that bring out something amazing. The CEO of Lego, Jungen, he's the first non-Lego family CEO. He managed to turn Lego around from roughly minus 254 million euro to a 1 billion euro profit. Wow. He holds a philosophy that A great company is not just doing one thing great. Great company is almost like a triathlete or pentathlete or or, or athlete. You need to sleep right, doing right, you need to bike, you need to know how to bike, you need to know how to swim, you need to know how to run and continuously improve in all these pillars. Sometimes you do it by, you do it incrementally, sometimes you do it adjacently, sometimes you do it transformationally.
1: But then in your work then, what were the key pillars that you found specifically for Disruptive organizations And I'm going to continue to use that term Because we've kind of given it a bit of a definition Yeah, What were the key pillars of this athlete This corporate athlete, let's call them that um, That really contributed to companies Having the ability to be more disruptive Or innovative at the same time So I think I'm a little bit biased there
0: I subscribe to a a set of um, concepts That was coined by Professor Martin Rogers Okay Canada and he was recently at Gibbs giving a public speech he talked about this thing called integrated mindset sometimes you have the expert knowledge but at the same time other side of your mind you're trying to suspend your judgement, you're trying to be humble Okay, you constantly bounce back and forth of having a great idea but unsure about the idea so that's why you go and test it and yeah. so forth so um sorry I just think that in the end of the day we need to Focus more about the individual and how individuals collaborate with other individuals. Okay. And as a result of that,
1: interesting things will happen. Can you elaborate on that some more?
0: I, in today's uh, society and all the, all the intervention, I, I seldom find someone who has a great idea and he runs everything by himself.
1: Okay. So okay.
0: It's not just only about the idea that's important, the execution of the idea. For instance, Uber, we talk so much about Uber. Uber's idea was actually not novel. Ride sharing is way, come way before that in the, in the late, uh, in the early nineties. when okay. there was a de- depression. And on demand, on time share riding was actually funded by SciCart and all those other other company before them, but what Uber did right is they were able to execute it much better than other people. Okay. right from the beginning. Yes. So I think we should not just only glorify a good concept. We should make sure that everything else is right.
1: Okay. So um, you speak about the different levels at which um, you study innovation. You know, the individual, the team, and the organization. Um, can we maybe then just go through each one of those, um, so that we get an understanding of how that impacts, I guess, overall the ability to be innovative. So starting with the individual, then getting into the team and the organization. Okay.
0: I'm going to digress a little bit and then come back to your topic. Okay. From the individual point of view, we all know that the artificial, the era of artificial intelligence right here. Yes. And the future is inevitable that AI will play a big part in our society. Yes in the way forward. The, the, the key factors to distinguish two individuals is not their access to information. Yes, I understand there's a big challenge in this country in particular. The, that's, um, in, in this country, and some people are still, you know, we have still a strong digital divide. But okay. within the corporate, two managers have the same um, ability and same potential to assess the right amount of information to help them to make the decision. Yes. However, it's the way they think, how they think to start with, what question to ask, that distinguish between good and great. Okay.
1: okay. So I
0: think we shouldn't bring the thinking back, like bring back, bring the sexy back. Yeah. Bring the thinking back from the school level, from the corporate level. I think corporate should teach people how to think. And personally, I believe that University and even business school shouldn't be focusing so much on teaching, but you should focus on how people learn and think and do. And this is the combination that, um, that's going to assist individuals to become more innovative.
1: I'm going to, if you're saying that, then I'm going to assume that you believe it's not necessarily happening. Okay. So what are the things that tell you, um, or indicate to us that, you know, people are not learning to think Execute and do. I mean, what's happening differently?
0: Well, I have to mention there are many great thinkers in South Africa, and over the years, and many of them have been quite kind to me and share some of the power, with, some of their knowledge with me. So I yeah. won't say there won't, there are not enough thinkers out there. I yes. think that we can do more. Corporate can teach people how to think more, and I think traditional way of. Teaching to demonstrate competency, I think that's very last year. For example, this lady, Ali Mulder, started come NGO called We Think Code. Okay. All the students, when they finish We Think Code, they don't even have a proper degree per se. But none of the students are left behind. All of them got job afterwards. Wow. And it's just a unique ingredient she put together to make sure everybody she trains are competent. Are able to think, are able to work together, and that's what the, the next generation of training and teaching should be should become. Yes, yes. So from the individual level, I think everything starts from individual. Besides the thinking part, I think the attitude is very important. Malcolm Gladwell mentioned the fact: there's one key factor that distinguish those people who are successful and those are not is whether you want to do it or not. Okay. And you put all your effort behind it and trying to do it. And funny enough when you look at many innovate innovators, I mean the path to where they are today is never 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 smooth. Mm. It takes lots of resilience, takes lots of grit, takes lots of hardship to get to where they are, but the passion to keep going and the belief and at the same time to adapt to the, to the situation. That's very important. So yes. these are some of the key concepts that I've been playing with about from the individual level. Okay. And from the team level, I like to look at how people think and behave effectively together for a better innovation output. Do you think that um, sometimes in a participatory type of conversation is, um, is more innovative?
1: Yeah. Uh, Absolutely.
0: So that's why people do lots of brainstorming. Yes. However, a recent study has just shown that if you do brainstorming wrong, you actually lead to a worse outcome. One of my very talented students, currently uh, Jesse, he's working for McKenzie now in, in Netherlands. Okay. Stunning student. So we did a study together. We put people in the, in the same room and we give twin, all of them are, are MBA students and people with business degrees. And we put some pressure on them. We tell them the fact that you, five of you will be in here and there will be other groups. We want to see who come out with the best strategy okay. to solve this problem. And we make sure that this uh, gender and racial diversities are uh, evenly spread. We want to close that loop there. Okay. And funny enough, when the pressure hits them hot and we also film them properly so they can't lie about it afterwards, mm-hmm. we found that when they start strategizing, their so-called brainstorming sometimes involve just looking at two options and keep on brainstorming from those two options only, yeah, yeah. and becomes a nested argument over those a, two. Uh, yeah. Instead, they're looking from how about A to Z, and then perhaps A point one point one plus C point one point one plus Z point one point two added together, we have something really really powerful. Absolutely. And now let's come back to corporate and corporates are under tremendous pressure all the time and, and people need to meet their KPI. There's challenges, um, business environment changes all, all the time. So sometimes when the pressure and time gets tight, people don't have the time to think. People don't have the time to, to examine all the options and they don't even have the time to really understand their customer properly. So those are the, some of the, areas I'm playing around with
1: fantastic you also have a consulting company um, forward notion yeah Um, and you you do a lot of work within this organization working with corporates um, around um, innovation and innovation strategies can you talk to us a little bit about forward notion and the work that you do there
0: well the name forward notion I believe that if you get people enough notion and belief, self-efficacy to move forward they will find they generally will find a path and sometimes more about asking the right question than having the right answer. So that's the way I facilitate the strategy strategy dialogue okay. within the org- organization. And I work with telecommunication, retail sector,
1: uh, and so forth. Um, and so when when they come to you, so typically when they decide that they want to engage Forward Notion, what would be the type of challenge that they'd be facing or the questions that they'd have on their mind, typically? Generally, they want to look into a, a piece of outcome
0: they want to achieve and how can we do that innovatively to, uh, to get there Okay. and the first thing I do besides trying to sign a proper contract to make sure I get paid <laughs> <laughs> is to actually antagonize them to a degree that is this the right outcome you're looking for
1: I see. So you do not even assume that what they want to, to to achieve is is even the right thing. And
0: I have to say this is where my coaching principle, coaching background really helped a lot. Okay. Cuz sometimes if people even ask just ask the right question, they will actually go out and look for the answer. And many corporates go down the rabbit hole and waste lots of money but sometimes just because they didn't spend enough time to ask the right questions.
1: Interesting. And then before Ford Notion, I know at, or oh, during you have also were at the CSR, you mentioned that. Yeah. Uh, the Center for Scientific Research. So tell us, I mean, the CSR can be quite a, uh, you know, a, a mysterious place for, for some of us. What is the work that the CSR does and why did you make the decision to go there?
0: Well, if I tell you, they might have, they might kill me. Okay. Right? <laughs> that's a joke. It's a wonderful organization. I really learned a lot. I really grew a lot from there. How, how long uh, were you there for? I was there for eight years. Eight years. Yeah. Okay actually so a lot of time yeah yeah and once upon a time i w- i thought i would be a good scientist yes and i became more of a lobbyist trying <laughs> to get people together to push innovation okay and so then. it's a wonderful organization and i think that now they are looking a new way to promote science in in south africa and the the group group operational director group Chief COO, um, Mr. Lawrence Kuta. I think he's quite an innovative gentleman. Mm. He's always looking for ways to push his boundary a bit harder. And I just hope that um, in the years to come, they will try to partner with more startups.
1: Yes, yes. Is that the work that you were doing while you were there, or oh, what no, were you focused on? I was
0: actually in the supercomputing center. Okay, in looking at how to use supercomputer to solve problems to assist academic and also private sector to to solve interesting.
1: What issues. types of problems would you solve
0: with a oh, supercomputer? From from the from design of a wind turbine all the way to how the electricity load was, was spread to um, you know, bio biomarkers and looking at your your genomic sequencings and all that, so all range. So I really enjoy my time there. Yes. I no longer just focus on computational chemistry. I actually interact with brilliant minds in this country and learn from learn from them, um, and also their philosophy how to deal with challenges.
1: Yes, yes.
0: And I have to attribute some of my teaching now to those eight years I spent with CSIR working from a science type of background let's go back to corporate innovation again corporate innovation is not about just have a loose boundary and say go for it Yeah. for instance if you are a CEO you're really really looking for a 40 million New idea, uh, new idea that can, that can generate 40 million Rand revenue. Yes. And you didn't train your people properly, didn't set the boundary properly, didn't set the process properly. Everybody give you a whole bunch of great idea and you have 20 of them and each of them brings you like 200,000. How? I don't think that's will, will help you to, to, to reach your target. Yes. So people think that corporate innovation or this thing about innovation is very, Every fairy, sometimes, um, you know, some group hug, lots of post-it notes, blue chair and pink tables yeah. and all that. No, it's actually not that. It's actually have a very firm vision and the right process and train your people and empower your people to get there. Mm. And whether or not you have pink chair or blue cushions, that's actually relevant. Today we're in a cypress space now.
1: Okay. And, um, so what you're suggesting then is that with all of these things, that holistic approach that you spoke about to say disruption has, you know, the companies that were able to be innovative and successful had a very holistic approach. It wasn't just about that silver bullet, good idea that then solved all their problems. So I guess even for corporates, they can learn from that to say it's a, it's a holistic thing so process. So you need to have all of the other elements in place as well to support it.
0: Yeah. Perhaps I'm biased, but so far I yet to see a company that's, uh, just got one or two things right and still take it to the next level.
1: Yeah. But I mean, don't you find And and I'm going to lean back into the Uber example you used Is that when things were great And they were making a ton of noise and a lot of money they were able to kind of shelter some of the problems, but we're seeing now real corporate type challenges, you know, HR issues, change of senior management, change of CEO. So these are real corporate challenges, right? That they're now faced with and having to deal with. And, and that'll be the true test of the resilience of the organization.
0: Totally, totally. But let's not forget the fact that so far they haven't made huge profits. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and that's first thing that needs to sort it out. And secondly, yes, internally and their publicity is really, really bad these days. Mm. And lastly, I think everyone Forget, we talk about Uber all the time, but there's, there are Lyft, there are other companies coming into yeah. play in
1: this turf. Significant players in China that, that were founded there that are you yep. know, 80% of the market plus.
0: Your real competitive advantage is only yesterday's glory every day is a brand new day every day and you need to prepare for tomorrow absolutely so if a company does not have this three horizon mindset you don't know what's make what make you competitive today and what you should be doing to make yourself competitive for the future i think you'll be left behind absolutely absolutely and you can't live winning by chance right yeah
1: (laughs) so let's talk then a little bit about south africa um and corporate innovation in south africa um some of the guests I've had previously on the show spoke about how in Africa a lot of our innovation is solution based. So it's specific to challenges that we have here. Do you share that mindset?
0: I don't think so. I think, um, one thing many Africans have is the spirit of work together and also the resilience. Okay. And we have many, uh, um, we, we have many uh, African startups, especially from Kenya, even locally, trying to push into overseas. So, I think yes it would be nice to resolve local problem
1: which, yes yes
0: but I don't want to see this local problem or international problem I think we have bright people if we give them the right environment they'll be able to solve problem for the for Africa and for the rest of the world
1: okay so what so you're saying that as much as it might start off being solutions that are guess, mm. specific to us that we should always have a global mindset so how can we scale this thing to solve a broader global problem in That's effect
0: of course, scaling up into a global, global environment, you are facing a lot more competition, and yes. the competitions are fierce. Yes. But it doesn't mean the fact that our solution derived here, it cannot be applied anywhere else. And for example, Devin the De First, yeah, where's my transport yes. from Cape Town? Now is yes. populating in, in South Africa and then trying to push around the rest of uh, the continent. Yes. And I think transportation problem is not a South African problem only.
1: Yes, it's a global problem. A global problem.
0: And some of the concept is applicable to to many, many other more advanced countries. I think the new digital age, um, the gap of who are more innovative will actually be diminished a lot more that's my humble opinion because back in the day we think about you can only be successful if you go to Silicon Valley yes you're right still the case there are more funders you have more opportunity up there but doesn't mean the fact that only in Silicon Valley you come up with great ideas yes and locally if we know how to work together properly if the startup and corporates and government or be able to sit together and find out a way forward. I think this will be an amazing continent, but do we?
1: Country. But do we have the enabling infrastructure? Though, because I mean, you need a well-oiled machine to make it happen, right? You know, we speak to a lot of business people that, you know, startups and small business owners, and they always talk about the pressures on them from, from that perspective.
0: Well, f- pressures everywhere. If you are a startup in the Silicon Valley, yes. I would imagine your precious tenfold, <laughs> <laughs> a lot more. Yeah. But I think we should engage in more dialogue. I think we should engage more dialogue from private, from public sector, from from academia, from SMEs and all that to get together to see how can we help one another and do better. I mean, my dean, Professor Nicola Klein, is very good at that. And yes. from time to time, in collaborations with Accenture and other companies, we we host this type of dialogue to see how can we take it to the to the next level. And yes, all that. yeah.
1: Yes, and so uh, in terms of your current research now, what are you working on at the moment?
0: Well, I'm looking at how organization can effectively self disrupt. Self disrupt. Yeah, in the uh, Okay, because it's just about this innovators dilemma, as Professor Klein. Clayton Christensen mentioned, your know, today's glory sometimes hampers you from seeing the new horizon. Okay. So I want to understand from the leadership perspective, from the culture perspective, from the process structure and all that, How can com- what companies should do to prepare for the future? I mean, I was reading the other day, some people think that there will be new C suite officer jobs out there. Yes. You know, chief freelance officer. Chief, chief
1: freelance officer. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. Chief futurist <laughs> officer. Yes. You know, chief. I- Data intelligence security officer along the line and future is actually really, I think, interesting. Yes. You can't really predict it to the teeth, but I think if you do things right, you can ride with a, the trend, ride with the wave and gain massive advantage. And, and for that, you need to find new ways to to, um,
1: to change yourself. And you're doing this research by speaking to a lot of uh, current leaders on, on what they plan. How are you going about the research?
0: Uh, luckily, I have many good students. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and some of these MBA students are very ambitious. They want to do things well, not yes. just because they are doing a Gibbs like, MBA, but also because they want to make a name of themselves, become the expert in that field. Yes. So I'm blessed with a couple of good students right now. Okay. And, and, and how far are you into the research? Uh, by... By the end of October, beginning of November, they have to submit their research. Okay. Most of them gather their data now. And yes. They see some interesting trends.
1: Yes. And, and, and what are you seeing so far? I mean, what are you hearing from your, from your students and what have you seen yourself just talking to leaders?
0: I think some of the inertia in organizations is probably the most difficult things to, to resolve. Yes. Because this is the old way of doing things. There are a whole bunch of people and, and, and I always mention this corporate innovation sometimes more about politics. Absolutely. How do you influence one another? How do you make other people to see that such endeavor will benefit them? Yeah. At the time is the hardest. From a startup point of view, from a corporate point of view, how do you make them internalize that, wow, actually, I didn't know I wanted this. Yes. But this will help me. And unfortunately, some of the people stay there, it's been there for a long time, been there 20, 30 years, um, you know, in the top echelon management. yes. So that dilemma, that dimension, the humanness um, interaction in there, what are the things we need to come up with to to make that transition a lot more smooth? Mm. I mean, I talk so much about this now, and as if I'm the expert today, yeah, yeah. I would like to be an expert today, but I'll assure you that in 15 years from now, I would probably become one of those inertia that <laughs> doesn't change enough. Based on your yeah. current beliefs, yeah. <laughs> so I, I would try to and try to teach people how to change and how to de- uh, how to get more future skills. Yes. And that's um, another thing that my company and another company trying to group together how to use robots to teach people change management, future skills, and and all that.
1: Interesting. Yeah. And, and now the focus on the future. I mean, you know, um, when, when, certainly when we studied, it was a lot about studying the trends and business cycles and what happened in the past to kind of make a determination of what decisions to make for the future in business. But mm-hmm. now the focus is on almost trying to predict where the future might go and focusing on that. Why has there been a need to focus so much on the future?
0: Because if you don't do it, someone else will well and someone else will do better than you and I'll compete you. Mm. And back in the day, we talk about all these trends and I still think those are trends are very valid and different scholars come up with a different way of looking into the future. But in the end of the day, it all ties down to human behavior. If you don't understand the psychology and where the dominant logic of your stakeholders are moving towards as a result of all these forces, all these trends and all that, you'll be left behind. Yes, yes. And I think... Sometimes a, a chief futurist officer would be a good idea. Yeah, yeah. And I did some work. Um, actually, two years ago, one of my students did some work to look into what is companies' foresight capability. And funny enough, we we didn't find many organizations focused strongly enough on that aspect.
1: So, an ability to look into what trends are happening in the future and what to prepare for.
0: Yes, yes, and yeah, just. I'm not saying they don't do it. Yes, but I think the fact if I go and sit down with them and say, "Tell me about your customer and your customers' customers' changing dynamic in in two years from now, in five years from now, I in see. ten years from now, yeah. can you tell me? I mean, ten years is way too long, but I would love to. Sit two years, <laughs> yeah, two years, two years even. You know? Yes. So this is some of the work I do in the research and consulting area.
1: Okay, uh, and it's a, and it's a growing area. i think I'm seeing and hearing quite a lot of people that are trying to wrap their heads around the future, around changing trends, and and what's happening from that perspective. You still see it growing further. Absolutely, seeing a lot more work coming into that space. <laughs> absolutely, I I think that if we can teach foresight
0: in high school, that'll be wonderful. And yeah. I think my colleague. Maurice will be very, very, Maurice will be very happy to hear this. Because if we can teach foresight, we can do preventative measures. Mm. And perhaps through that, we can teach growth mindset. We can teach delay gratification because we can see what is coming. And then we can also teach people to be more adaptable. I see, yeah. And I think in the future, I I'm, I'm sh- maths, English, and all those basic subjects are very important i'm not trying to downplay the importance yes but it's a whole new set of skills that i think high school even from primary school they need to start developing
1: mm, mm. Yeah. and you lean quite heavily into teaching I and mean, obviously you, 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 your faculty yourself but what kind of pushed you in that direction you know you could have gone the more corporate route i guess uh, but but you've made a specific decision to focus on research and on teaching why
0: I don't know, maybe one day I'll still go back to corporate. Don't let my boss hear that. <laughs> <laughs> um, one day I woke up on the wrong side of bed and I asked myself, is this what I'm doing the best for South Africa? I mean, early on we had this conversation. I was a, almost a primary school dropout in my country and yes. when I come to South Africa, this country is giving me so much. Yes. Pursuing multiple degree and really doing something cool and hang out with cool people. So one day I woke up and realized where I was probably would not achieve what I want to do. So I just submitted a resignation without having a job on site. (laughs) And then one thing led to another, I ended up working for Gibbs. And Gibbs is a, well, I'm not trying to do marketing here, but it's, um, it's a fantastic place. We who in the brightest of bright in the whole country? They come in. They want to make a difference for themselves. They want to achieve something. Mm. And the staff member there, we we treat each other really like a family. I mean, you will see from the from the front desk all the way to our dean, they will call each other first name basis. and say good morning, trying to understand how you are. You know. And um, by the way, sidetrack a little bit. One of my favorite words when I come to South Africa is this word. Help me with my pronunciation. Sabona. Yes. And the re, the man, the meaning about Sabona is not just greeting, is I see you. Yes. And I think in Gibbs, we're trying to practice how we see one another. And I also try to infuse that in my teaching and con- consulting. Yes. So, yes, long story short, we'd we'll love to go back to corporate and, Why? and, and, and really accomplish something because sometimes teaching is a bit lonely place. You help people to see things. You help people to be excited, motivated, but you don't know the end result. I see. I still want to, to... And that's why I do consulting on the side. Yes. And Gibbs is also a wonderful place because they believe that in order for the faculty to be current... They must they need be, to be close to to the to the business. So yes. they really motivate us to do consulting. I mean in my KPI they were even ask how much consulting work you've done. Mm. We can evaluate you on this, but we would like to go and push it on, on that. So yes, I, I would like probably one day I want to go back to corporate, I'm not sure, but yes. um you would take a lot for me to leave gaps. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
1: Yeah. and um, you know, obviously you're still in the throes of your current research. But what other areas of research are you interested in in pursuing? What other topics do you think would be nice to delve into?
0: Sure, I think there's just so much and so much of uh, interesting things
1: on the horizon for you.
0: On the horizon, I I just want to see how corporate really, really looking into customer centricity. Okay, I think the fundamental pillar of innovation is to understand your customer. Let's use an inverter, comma. Yes. Customer, what yes. do they really want? For example, how do we use IoT and big data to really gain advantage? And I think I would like to walk into the retail store before I, while I walk in because of my cell phone, Something, some device will greet me by my name. <laughs> if I go there, they already know that because I'm attending uh, a function in FMB, uh, um, a formal function, they probably come here looking for this, this and suggestion. I want, I want a, um, not just a great experience. I want actually a trusted advisor okay. to that type of, Intelligence. Yes. So I want to see how company in all different sectors, from banking, insurance, retail, and all that, to get to that level, and yeah, that could be that's uh, that could be busy for
1: a little while. <laughs> <laughs> so an, an enriched experience, in essence.
0: Enriched <clears throat> experience, and yeah, and on the other side, I still very interested in, in individual. I still think that whether whether a company flourish or not. So it all depends on every level of leaders.
1: Yes, in that organization. In the yeah. organization. And is leadership an area of study that, that you're focusing on? I don't call it
0: leadership per se, uh-huh. but I trying to see what they do, what they do mm-hmm. and try, try to understand the fact that how they work together. And to me, the collective intelligence and collective behaviors are uh, some of the stuff I'm grappling,
1: yeah. grappling with. So now let, let's then expand on that because as um, artificial intelligence that you alluded to grows, as we have more robots, and I use the term robot loosely, yeah, sure. but more machines doing more things for us that 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 we currently do ourselves, how will this context of the individual, the team, and the organization shift with that? Is is that something you've looked into?
0: Yes, I have to be honest. I don't know whether I have the answer right now. Okay. And the truth is, many experts are grappling with this uh, idea. Yeah. I don't think they have the full. Full view of what the future may be. Mm. Mark Zuckerberg think the AI is the best thing under the after the slice of bread, and whereas, Mark, um, whereas Elon Musk think that this is if we don't control it properly, it will be it will cause the next war. Yeah, war, You know all that.
1: So, but but how do you see it? I mean, in, in terms of your paradigm, the, the the individual, the team, and the organization. Um, if we were to look not too far into the horizon, let's say eighteen months, two years. Mm. Um, certainly there are things that might not be like little physical robots walking around but there are things that in algorithms are going to fundamentally shift how we drive decision making how we influence people incentivize I mean all these things that run corporates what do you see there?
0: Yeah this is an interesting space in a recent Facebook conference they were able to put some um, electronic device connect to the cell phone and if you text something the person will Understand what you are texting. So, so, so just that again. So basically, they put certain non-intrusive um, electric device on like, someone's. on someone's head. Okay, and the person just type in the cell phone, and next thing the person underst- uh, the, the one with uh, all the electrodes understood what's written in the phone and perform the function
1: as requested.
0: So so communicating to the brain effectively
1: via text message.
0: Yes. um, The, the, the gap between what's physical, what's biological and what's cyber will be blurring even more. In 2015, robots has become really self aware and that robot now, now robot was able to connect, connect into supercomputers like Watson and able to Predict and understand and dissect some sort of in, interesting problem. Sure. So, um recently, a uh, Sencha and Gibbs, through that collaboration, um, I'm, I was one of the co-authors, we published uh, a white paper, talk about, is South Africa ready for AI? Okay. And I think many of the C-suite officers we invited to that dinner, That's as a result of one of the Professor Nicola Klein's dinner. One of the CC officers is inevitable we have to go that way. And some of them are doing that way very, very successfully. So the dynamic will change completely. I think how to reskill people, redeploy people, and how to use not AI per se, but more assisted intelligence will be something the corporate will have to grow up on the next two years something. And I understand T-Systems also been doing some good work around this area in the big data analytic stuff. So I think um, many OEMs, many IT consultancies are, are pushing that direction really, really hard. Yes. And, and uh, personally, if corporate and government, we don't get together, start talking about it. It'll just happen. In, well, it's happening now. Yes. But in three years' time, what type of society are we going to turn out to be that's something yeah interests me and at the same time worries me a little bit <laughs>
1: worries you what?
0: yeah I mean
1: yeah.
0: we mentioned the fact AI the advent of um artificial intelligence will create a new job that's for sure mm. but what happened to those people who's doing the current job Yeah, and been replaced if you can print the pavement Four kilometers of payment in 30 minutes. Only need one foreman, one technician to make sure the machine is operating well. What are we going to do about our society? Yeah. Last year, end of year, Futuku Mutual Life in Japan retrenched 34 actuaries. That's the heart and soul of the insurance company.
1: Retrenched.
0: <laughs> retrenched. And, in, and replaced by a machine. And they mentioned it needs only roughly 100,000 pounds per year to maintain it. Can you pay 34 actuaries with 100,000 pounds? I don't think it's the end of the world. I don't think it's just Skynet right here and yeah. all that. But we have to kind of be cognizant of how the world is changing, how corporates should take different route to think about the future of their, their business strategy that enabled by technology. Okay, And... From the school level, from the education
1: level, how what are we teaching our kids? Yes, and this this concept of then uh, customer centricity is that at the core of it. I think so. Will the customer exist in the way we understand them today? <laughs> <You> know, that's <laughs> in inverted commas. That's point. a
0: very interesting question. Uh, your technology could be your next customer. That's exactly what I'm alluding to. Yeah, yeah but uh, your uh, there will be things things as a customer, but those things still need to understand your needs. So in the end of the day, if you don't understand the change of customer in particular from the higher purpose of what an individual wants to achieve. Yes. I think you will be left behind. And back in the, before the industrialization, let's say you, you wear a nice jacket there, nice suit there. You wanted to have a suit, you go to your tailor, right? Everything is made bespoke. Yes. To your size. The industrialization because that takes too long and too costly. Boom! Suddenly, you go to awesome retailer like Ubers yeah. to get your your suit over there. Yeah, I think we're coming back to a place now. It's called I call it the massification of bespoke offering. We can do many things at the same time, produce big amount of um a product, but each product can be tailored. To your need. I see. I think one day we go there. This is not a novel concept. I think more and more financial institutions are seeing that. Instead of pushing out 200 products, how do we combine certain ingredients to make sure that we can help this individual to grow their life, to grow their experience?
1: Mm, Fantastic. And now moving forward, looking into the future, and I want you to focus mainly on South Africa and the African continent. Being that you are doing a lot of research, you get into an understanding of what's on the horizon. What's your vision?
0: Uh, first, I have to really disclaim that I'm not, I don't haven't done lots of research when it comes to being a, being a great researcher. There are many, many good faculties. <laughs> it gives much better than I do. But my humble view is, do some um, is a interesting continent. At the time that if we draw on some of the issues from the past, I think it's important we talk about it. Okay. It's important we embrace it. But why we are focusing so heavily on that? Globalizations here. Artificial intelligence here. We should talk about those issues, but we so, should also focus on what are the new rules of engagement when this new world comes. What do we do?
1: Yeah. The new rules of engagement. Yeah. And disruption, um, without giving me I guess a theoretical definition, but for you, in terms of um, how you perceive it, how you see it into the future, how would you define disruption?
0: In the end of the day, I still think that's how do you add value to other people's life in a new way, through the new means, or through the combination of existing means in a different way.
1: Okay, so it's still about adding values. It's still about this customer centricity. I still think,
0: it, well, think about it. If you innovate something, and no one wants to buy it. No one wants to use that product. You have an invention, you don't have an innovation. Okay,
1: and you need to know the difference, right?
0: And if luckily your innovation become viral and changing the industry, how the modus, um you know modus operandi is great, but then it, it becomes disruptive. It becomes disrupted. That's fantastic. But even if not, you still add value to many people's life, and people will still want to follow you.
1: Fantastic! Thank you so much, Dr. Chen. Thanks Thank you for, for joining us today. Thank you for the discussion. I think um, we need to spend more time talking about the role that research and academia can play. I think in really driving the future, because a lot of innovation comes from that space in many cases. So we do look forward to having you back on the show. A um, lot. To our sponsors, T Systems. Thank you once again for uh, helping us engage on this platform and have our guests available to us. Um, thank you for listening to us today. We will see you again next time on Disruptive Women Dapo. Have a wonderful day.
0: This is CliffCentral.com.